Welcome to WeChat Divorce with Karen Shalou, Legal Liaison, and Katherine Shanahan, CDFA, co-founders of My Divorce Solution, the company that delivers the quintessential financial blueprint to couples facing or going through the divorce process. This blueprint, known as the MDS Financial Portrait, establishes the foundation and options an individual or couple would need to make clear financial decisions when considering divorce. Each podcast, Catherine and Karen sit down with divorce professionals and other individuals who provide insight and frank discussion about real people, real situations, and real divorce. Welcome to WeChat Divorce. Today we are here with attorney Tiffany Hughes, the founding partner of the law office of Tiffany M. Hughes. Tiffany is recognized as an experienced and passionate advocate on behalf of her clients in the area of family law. She concentrates primarily in family and matrimonial law. And Tiffany, maybe you can tell us the difference between those two, including litigation, mediation, allocation of parental responsibility, formerly known as custody, parentage, divorce, and other related child matters, I should say, and other child-related matters. With representing a wide range of clients in family law, Tiffany handles matters from beginning to end, including litigation when needed and settlement when available. Courtroom ready and effective, Tiffany keeps her clients' goals as her primary concern. So today we're going to be talking about setting up your settlement. So let's start out with how does someone frame their case for settlement? Where do we start? Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, I would kind of like to go back with what is the difference between family law and matrimonial law? I don't good, know if a good lot question. of people know that. Yeah, so matrimonial law is individuals that are married. So matrimony. So that that's more of your divorces. Family law incorporates uh, parentage, which is uh, parties that are not married but have children together. So parentage actions. Um, you've also got guardianship, adoption, um, child support. Um, you know, so anything that's not matrimonial relating to marriage is going to be your your quote unquote family uh, law matters. Okay. That is a good question. I don't think I ever really knew the difference. Yeah, I lumped them all together. Yeah, yeah. me too. Yeah, that's, that's a good differentiation. And I didn't really realize that um, what was formally, like, well, I always consider it custody. What is the word now that I just Alli said? Yeah, allocation of parental responsibility. So they changed it to where now it's no longer referred to as custody. And, and that's just really it's kind of a fancy phrase um, to explain the decision-making, which the big four categories are education, school, religion, and extracurricular, and then parenting time, which incorporates holiday and regular parenting time. So the, what we call the APR agreement, the allocation of parental responsibility agreement incorporates those things. Okay. You know what I love about that? I know this is not what we're supposed to be talking about, but I love the word responsibility. 
Mm-hmm. Because that yeah. whole custody agreement on, of course, you, I want custody, you want custody, but really it's about what are yeah. your responsibilities and what are my responsibilities here? Because we both have them. Right. Exactly. I, I like that. I really do like that. Yeah. And I think it makes sense. I mean, you know, looking at it in that frame of mind where you have these four categories and deciding and then, you know, both parents figuring out what makes sense for them and for the kids. It just, it's kind of streamlines it, I think it's, and it also makes it very clear for them what, what has to be outlined and what has to be agreed upon versus with custody. It was kind of, well, custody meant I want custody. Well, what does that really mean? Mm-hmm. Like, do you want decision-making? Do you want the majority of parenting time? It was kind of this broad term that a lot of people didn't understand. So they call my office and say, I want to fight for full custody. And it's like, okay, well, are you talking about decision-making or parenting time? Like, what do you, what does that mean to you? Cause it was very, very objective or very subjective right. rather. Right. Yeah. And financially speaking, most of the times when people call us when they're doing their portrait, it is the custody so I don't have to pay so much in child support. Oh yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. Yeah. So let's kind of take that and segue into framing um, your case or your situation for settlement because that custody factor, which a lot of people see it as a financial matter, not necessarily time with their kids or even decision-making all, how do all things flow in and where does someone start with setting up for settlement when, when you go to an attorney, most of the time, the attorney out of the gate is from a client's perspective is setting it up for trial. So talk a little bit about how all that works together. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's a good idea to set up a case for trial from the beginning. Um, I think that that costs a lot of money for clients, but I think overall what you want to do is get a very, very uh, in-depth understanding of marital debts, marital assets, non-marital assets, and non-marital debts. And so when, you, when I first am working with a client, I say, look, we need to put together, you know, a list of all of the assets and all of the debts and getting the documents from them to start preparing what I do, which is a marital balance sheet. So that's the first real initial step. Now, a lot of times, unfortunately, they don't know what assets there are. They were not in control of the finances. They don't know what accounts their husband has or you know, his wife has, or et cetera. So sometimes it's tricky because they don't have that information. So a lot of times I'm a little tricky in what I do. And I say, well, I said, you know, um, why don't you check the mail? And they're like, oh yeah, I usually don't get the mail. He usually gets the mail. So she starts getting the mail and noticing that there's credit card statements that are coming in that is not a joint credit card. There's bank accounts that she's not listed on little things like that, that just start to help. Um, Depending on where they are in the process, if they're not ready to file yet, then I tell them to actually have a conversation with their spouse about this before moving on to the next step. So setting up for settlement really occurs even before, in my opinion, before you even hire an attorney, before you even really get started with anything, because you need to know what you have, what are you looking at? What assets do you have? What debts? Um, Another thing is with the house, like just getting some basic understanding of 
okay, well, if I make $50,000 a year and my husband is making 200, even with the money that I get from settlement overall from the estate, would I even qualify for a refi on -hmm. this house? Is keeping this house something that I can even do? Is it a viable option? So thinking about all of these pieces from the beginning helps. You also have to be careful though, because they're already very overwhelmed. They're already very emotional. They're, they're scared. They don't know what the law is. They don't know what the process is. So starting the process of settlement with them from the beginning has to be kind of a, like a, you have to have a timeline approach. It it can't be throwing everything at them and being like, okay, now go because they won't be able to do it. Right. Right. And that's exactly why we started our company. My divorce solution is two divorcees because we went through that and helping clients establish all of that before they walk through an attorney's door, unless of course they're in harm's way or some other situation that requires immediate legal help. It's invaluable to have that at your fingertips and to be able to deliver it and not only deliver it, but to confidently talk about it and own the information. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I mean, you guys do, you know, you do amazing things. Obviously I I love the both of you, but um, you know, it's, Without having your assistance, you know, a lot of these clients, I mean, they, they just don't know what to do and they don't know where to start and they, they don't know how in depth and how much time that these things actually take to get in place and get to get set up. So I think overall, you know, initially, like I said, I'm really working with them on just getting a baseline understanding of what the assets and debts are and seeing what they know about their financial situation overall. And if I'm working with somebody that does have a lot of information that is very well aware and is not overwhelmed, like if they're more of a type A personality and they're very organized and they, you know, they have things available, then I will say, you know what, why don't you go ahead and start sending me over the statements, start sending me X and Y and, and, and getting things prepared to then create the marital balance sheet and to look at the estate overall. Yeah. You know, what I love about you is you're, well, first of all, I think you're just so articulate and really talented and such a great match for so many people going through divorce. But what I love about the combination of the two is that when we see the client come at that point where they're not sure, do I want to get a divorce or do I not? Or yeah, I think I'm organized, but they end up not being so organized. It's really overwhelming when it's actually you yourself stepping into the shoes, going through the divorce process, no matter how um, together you feel you are or not. Um, your, Your net value or your net worth of yourself is either really low because you never took hold of that information or it's really too high. You think you know more than you actually know as it pertains to a divorce scenario. So when they come through with us and we actually give them hands-on with the documents and the information, I love to see them transfer over to you for their need and whether or not, you know what, you can settle this case probably. And, or, you know what, your spouse is so non-inclusive of anything and there is no transparency that this will be a litigated case. They go into you prepared because just, I don't know how you guys feel, but even though I have a police officer in my family, one would pull me over, I get very nervous, you know, and I'm a pretty <laughs> confident person, but it's just that uniform, it's just that stigma that they have, right? Um, right, right. 
walking to an attorney's office when you're going through divorce is really scary. I mean, people have to bring a friend or they bring Karen in our cases, or it's just even when I had to go myself, it's a very intimidating, but to see them come in with that data, whether it's complete data or partial data, a work in progress, I feel like I see them so much more empowered. And then I feel like you get to really do your job and to really set out their expectations with them. Because after all, that is really the part that could be the most misleading for someone um, when your expectations are not set out. It makes it for a much more difficult process. Yeah, well, and in addition to that, I mean, obviously if you don't know what assets and debts that you have and what your financial future looks like, um, I mean, that's, that, that's a huge, huge stressor for them to then, and, you know, add on top of that unrealistic expectations of that they're going to be walking away with a million dollars when you don't even have a million dollars in your estate. <laughs> you, you think you do, but you don't because you don't know. So in line with what you're saying, I mean, the expectation aspect of the whole process is something that I go through with them really during the initial call or meeting that I have and saying, you know, Illinois is an equitable distribution state. You know, I'm also licensed as an attorney in Florida and practice there. Florida is an equitable distribution state. So going through what that means. So it doesn't mean that it's 50-50, but it usually is. And just having, you know, getting them to understand that things are going to be split, giving them the knowledge that most attorneys don't give you. Usually you walk into an attorney's office and it's, hi, take a seat. Okay. All right. It's like, it's like a business transaction. There's no, like, no, what do you want? Yeah. What do you want? What do you want? You want the kids? You want the kids? Okay. How much of the time? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, it's very sad. It's so true. It's yeah. so true. And, and talking about and giving clients expectations without knowing their information first, I, I sit there and I listen and oh, well, I, I'm sure that I can get you X amount a month and you'll get the house and we'll take him to the cleaners in the initial consult. And I'm thinking, yeah. well, first of all, this is not what she wants and you're scaring her to death. And second of all, how's this going to affect the kids and the family union unit post-divorce? And then as it's going along, nowhere near the number that the attorney said, on a lot of levels, I think it's just a sales tactic and they don't really care. It is. Um, it's very cases, frustrating. And there, we've seen cases where exactly what you said, Tiffany, they here, we'll get you a million dollars, but they don't even really have a million dollars. So yeah, how are you right. getting them a million dollars, right? But right. I'm sure you get a lot of cases where they've hired that attorney who's promised something above the expectations that are realistic, $10,000 later or more, that client realizes that they're being set up to settle, that they're not going to get any of that stuff. And they never expected that. So now they move to a new attorney, which is why some attorneys get a bad rap. So now you must get a lot of those cases where they come in and now you're dealt with, okay, they were set up to think they're getting this. And now I have to have the realistic talk with them. Yeah. How, yeah. how do you do that shift from, okay, this is what you heard. This is where you were. I'm sorry you're that many thousand dollars into it, but here's what we have to do to settle this case because you do have your financial portion. Hopefully they've come to us at some point and they get it finally. Um, and now we have to shift gears and shift mindset to a very emotional um, divorce, divorcing uh, couple. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I'm going to, to be honest with you, um, I literally tell them, you know, I'm not, I will, I will never lie to you. Um, you don't know me yet, but I'm somebody that you can trust. Um, and you can obviously talk to any one of my other clients that I've had over almost a decade. Um, unfortunately, though, I'm not going to tell you things that will always make you happy. So you need to understand that I'm going to be honest and you may not like it, but it's the reality of what we're talking about. And I need you to understand what reality looks like versus what your expectations may or may not be and what the law is. So I'm gonna give you the knowledge and, and provide you an understanding of what the law is. And then we can talk about how we can work on what settlement looks like for you. So if you want the house, how do we enable you to keep the house? If you wanted X, how do we enable you to do that? So my approach with them is very non-lawyer-like, really. Um, see that. Other than, yeah, it, it's very like, it's, it's more of a conversation and just trying to understand what's important to them, ultimately what their expectations are. And I'll be honest with you. I mean, I do not take every case and there's a lot of reasons why, but one of the biggest reasons is expectations. I know from the outset of that conversation that I cannot get them X because that it's just not possible legally. Mm -hmm. And I know that if I were to take the case and not get them X, then they're not going to be happy. And so I, I have no interest in doing it when I know that legally it's not going to happen. And I'll tell them that. And if they're understanding and they really truly are, are being understanding about it, then I'll consider representing them. But if not, I'm not your girl, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You're not, you're not the shark in stilettos, right? <laughs> <laughs> not in that case. I won't be. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So Tiffany, how do you balance and what can a client expect when working with their attorney when you're balancing preparing for trial or that route of litigation? Because that is what an attorney does as you're also trying to settle. So I think you have to take steps down the litigation path to keep the case moving, especially if you have a spouse who's just sitting there with their arms crossed. So how do you help a client kind of balance that and navigate through those two different pathways? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's very challenging for clients. They don't understand the work that goes into a trial. Um, they think that, well, I've already tendered you all the documents and you already have a marital balance sheet now that we're pretty much done. And it doesn't work like that. So with settlement, obviously, we have all of the documents, we have full financial disclosure. Um, and then we start to arrange, you know, what essentially they want and how we can make it look appealing to the other, you know, the other spouse, right? So when we're doing that, we have, and I keep referencing the marital balance sheet because it's just easy. And again, a marital balance sheet essentially for those who don't know is just, it's a spreadsheet that has nothing fancy like what you guys do. But if I'm just putting something together, it's, it has all of the assets and all of the debts and you can literally move around, you know, you want if we're going to give her the house, then the house goes on her side of the balance sheet. And then we distribute the assets and the debts accordingly. So that way, if we're doing a 50, 50 equitable distribution case, 
we know that we have to have the same amount of, you know, 50, 50 on both sides. Mm -hmm. So there's this, there's a huge strategy in making settlement offers that are literally the same thing, but look different to the other spouse. So when we're setting up for settlement, these are the things that I do when we're setting up for trial, it's okay. Now let's look at what the law is and let's see based upon the length of the marriage, how much non-marital assets, you know, factors that are considered under for Illinois under 503, uh, the statute, how are we going to divide the property and what would that look like at a trial? There are certain things that you can't, a judge can't order at a trial, but that parties can agree to. So right. you've got to keep in mind that it's not, it's not so, you know, it's not the same. And a lot of clients are like, what he agreed to this, or we could have the judge order that. And it's like, well, if we go to trial, you know, that's off the table because now the judge doesn't have the discretion to do X. So really explaining it in depth again, with being cautious of not overwhelming them at the same time, because they think trial and they think, oh my God, I'm going to spend 20, 30, 40, $50,000, you know, just immediately to get all of this going. Um, so it's, it's not easy to answer your question completely because it, oh, it's, I think did. but <laughs> it was very helpful. Yeah. I think so too, because I got to be honest with you. I never even understood that it was the attorney's job to explain the law to the judge. <laughs> yeah. And to is. fight for your client's rights there. I just thought the judge was the one that, you know, knew all the laws and was going to apply it himself, you know. So just your little explanation goes a little bit much further than what I'm saying. But I think that as a whole, the everyday person doesn't understand. Now I'm just a financial person. Karen understands it because she worked in that, you know, in, in, with a firm for so long. So she gets it. But someone like me and most of the people out there didn't really understand that. It was true. You know what I want, go in there and get it for me. You know, right. they didn't look at it in that perspective, which is why, again, nobody wants to go to the courtroom. Nobody should want to go to a courtroom. No. Yeah. And I, I think this is really helpful for everybody when they are framing settlement and getting set up for settling is keep in mind, you know, when you're settling, you have the control, you have the power. When you walk into the courtroom, you lose that power. When you have, you know, settlement, you can come up with creative solutions in order to resolve and to, you know, distribute the marital estate. You really have a lot of great uh, creative solutions for parenting time and for, you know, non-financial related matters like, you know, holidays and decision-making. When you go into a courtroom, there is no creative solution. It's cookie cutter. It's, well, we're going to do this and we're going to alternate. We're going to do this. And it, it, you know, everything is very, very cookie cutter. So when you're looking at settling and you have the ability to be creative in doing it, it, it's something that really honestly is, is the best. That's why I start, I always start off with how can we frame this case for settlement? Yeah, what do we I need to do that. next? That best benefits your client. And so I run against, and well, Catherine and I both do, we run up against 
a lot of people thinking what our portrait is, is what you call a marital balance sheet, or some people call it a net worth statement. So that's great to have, but that doesn't help the client understand if I take the house, this is what it means to me financially. How much retirement would I be giving up? And what does that mean to me? What do I need for cash flow for my budget? You know, how are all these divisions going to affect me long term? And so the delivery of what we call the MDS financial portrait allows you as an attorney to move that data around that sheet with the client knowing what what all of those assets and liabilities being moved around means to them long term. So, oh, yeah. you know, that's yeah. invaluable. Yeah. And what it entails to move them. Yeah. It's not as easy as just, okay, here's your marital settlement agreement. See you later. Go do it. It's a lot of effort mm -hmm. to make some moves in, in, amongst those assets and debt. Yeah, so. especially for the higher oh, yeah. net worth with the executive compensation being played in and prior employers who had the deferred compensation. And so that can get lost in all of those moving arounds of the net worth statement if the client doesn't have the knowledge and the questions to ask to make sure that, you know, all of those factors remain front and center and not just front and center, but what that means to them long terms in different markets. And, you know, this whole year of COVID really has just changed the landscape of a lot of couples divorcing modules and, you know, their division scenarios. So that, that's something that you point out that's very important, I think. Well, and, and to add to that, I mean, then you start looking at tax implications. Do you know how many attorneys really? don't even advise clients on tax implications? Yes, we do. I don't even know if they really <laughs> even care. Or I even mean, have it the just knowledge. boggles my mind. Yeah. No, they, they do. And I, and honestly, I feel like you're really doing your client a disservice by yeah. not even acknowledging that, look, you're going to have this IRA. He's going to take the cash. And what does that mean for you? And then when you take it out at 65 or 62 or, or 59 and a half or whatever it may be, that's income to you where he just took a nice lump sum cash buyout and you don't have any of that, which is an income to you. So nobody explaining these things, right? You do a division of, of an IRA or something along those lines. Um, and what I do is I subtract out like for my client, like, okay, well, if you're going to take this on, then this IRA actually only equals X because once I do the net, take out all the taxes and get to the net, you know, portion of it, this is really what you're left with. So therefore, if we're going to do a cash buyout and really make it equal, we have to consider these things. So, I mean, it, it's just unbelievable to me going through all of these things with clients. is just so important. And mm -hmm. there, unfortunately, a lot of attorneys, either they don't know, um, or to be honest with you, they don't care. You know, it's too much time. It's too much, you know, it's, it's an inconvenience. They probably are taking on every single case they can get. And really it's just, you know, how much money can I make from the client and get this over with? And they, well, they're not invested. Right. right. It's too much work for them. And at that point, they've already earned their fees that they want to earn. But, you know, it's, it's, you know, you also have to consider the, 
the earnings on the tax deferred growth on that investment as well. I mean, that's what we do with all of these accounts because there really is a way that you have to true up the investments to both parties and a lot of considerations and recommendations. But what, what I really wanna shift back to again is that when you're, when you're getting ready to settle and one of the parties is just not, they're just gonna push you to the end. A lot of people, um, I, I say they just run out of their patience. You know, they get a divorce fatigue about them and their patients are gone and they're just saying, okay, I'm being forced to settle basically. When do you decide, where do you play that card? I'm gonna hold out to the end. I'm gonna hold him until he folds basically and going. Like I can stay the course because that's my personality but a lot of people can't. And so I think that what gets lost sometimes is when you don't have, and which why we spend so much time on our portrait with our clients is at the end there, when your patients are running out and you have divorce fatigue and you're just done with this, if you don't have a document to go back to and say, okay, I'm willing to stick until this comes to fruition, or I'll go to the, I'll let the judge decide, or I'm willing to take scenario B or C because I see it right here in front of me. So I'm making a decision on that. How do you work with the other side of, of being the stronger link there that you're willing to go to the end? What is the Well, I mean, a lot of it really, to be honest, is, you know, based upon, and I'm going to assume that there was a what we call a pretrial conference, which is where we actually you know, sit down with the judge and the judge gives us a recommendation as though if we were going to trial. Um, I'm going to assume also that that judge would also be our trial judge because unfortunately, a lot of times we have judges giving us pretrial recommendations, but it doesn't matter. They're not our trial judge. So that has no weight. Like it, it doesn't mean anything. They're not gonna be the ones that, that, that is hearing the trial itself then why does it matter? We don't, I don't care what you think. I mean, you're not doing the trial. Like, right. you know, like uh, your recommendations won't mean anything to either counsel because they, if they're, if they know, they know that that judge will not be the trial judge. So assuming we're before a trial judge, assuming there's a pretrial recommendation, I know that the judge recommended X and I know also what he would be, have the discretion to do at a trial. I can tell the client, look, if you take this, if you take what he offers you, you're going to get 500,000, right? Now I can't guarantee you anything and what happens at a trial, but I can tell you that, you know, it's kind of like gambling because it is, mm -hmm. but you're looking at upwards of over a million if we go to trial. So, you know, do you want to take the risk? Let's do a cost benefit analysis. How much is it going to cost to get you to trial? Does it make sense for you to go to trial? If the offers are low, then we're not going to, we are forced to. I had this just happen to me a couple of years ago and the client and I worked together for like three and a half years and got great pretrial recommendations and the husband wouldn't settle it. And so we did a five day back to back full trial in front of judge Walker in, in Cook County. And she got, you know, three times the amount that I anticipated she was going to get. So, you know, for her, awesome. it made sense, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it was amazing. Yeah. And 
she actually just got remarried before COVID. I went to her wedding and uh, so that was So was she scared and did she falter every now and then and say, oh, I'm not 100% sure. Did you have, was it a challenge to keep her engaged because you were so confident that the offers were so low? Because I think sometimes we run into that where the other spouse just bullies, bullies, bullies to the point that they're just, they're, they've lived their entire life listening to their spouse and he was the authoritarian or she was the authoritarian for all that time. And now they're having to make independent decisions and can they trust that decision when they're so new at it with, you know, new advisors and so forth. So do you find that specifically even in that case that she had a little bit of trouble hanging in um, to see it through? But before you answer that, uh, that same type of client we have seen time and time again and i can already tell by just the few times i've talked to you and your personality um and what i've read about you um we see the cl- the own client's attorney then bully them into settling because either it's financially over their head and they don't want to do any more work they haven't followed along with it and they don't want to catch mm-hmm. up because it's too much work to show up to trials a lot of work for the attorney and half the information I, when I've seen it, it's never even used. So they're just gathering this information. So we've seen their own attorney say, you should you gotta settle this, you know? So it's like they're being bullied mm-hmm. almost on both sides. Um, that is it, that is absolutely the saddest situation. It is. And I have seen it. And, um, and it's, it's very, very, very upsetting. Uh, literally a lot of attorneys, because they hadn't done their jobs originally, the discovery, so the, the tendering of all the documents, that's all closed. So if you didn't tender it previously, you can't use it at trial. So guess what? Their attorney thought, oh, well, you know, I'm not, we're not going to go to trial. So I'm not going to worry about tendering the documents. And, you know, they have enough of the documents. We don't need this document or that document. Maybe they were lazy with it, never pushed the client to ask them for certain things. But when you go to trial, you know, if you have a non-marital house from prior to the marriage, well, everything under the law is presumed marital, which means it's your burden to prove that that's a non-marital home. And if you didn't tender the documents regarding that home, how are you going to prove it's non-marital? So they catch themselves, uh, the attorneys, that is, in a situation where they're advising their clients something that is not in their, in their best interest because they didn't do their job initially. And then you've got, just like you guys are saying, you've got situations where the sp- other spouse was authoritative, you know, he, he or she was very much in control of everything. And the other spouse does feel bullied. The, the client I was telling you about, um, the husband actually used the emancipated children, the children that are obviously over 18, um, he used them against her. He actually blamed her to the children for doing all of this and making litigation be so, you know, extensive. (sighs) Yeah. And oh my gosh, it's just, so her daughters still to this day do not talk to her. It's just so upsetting. But you know what? She stuck with me and she knew that I would never take her down a road that I wouldn't personally go down myself. 
And I, and that's what I do with my clients. I would never, ever advise you something that is not in your best interest. And if I wouldn't do it personally, I would never tell you to do it. I love that. And and she really, she stuck by me. She understood. I spent a lot of time with the education piece of it for her to understand this asset. If we go to trial, this asset, if we don't, you know, going line by line and her to see the potential numbers of what it would look like. And, And then we had the unknown categories of specifically for her was the dissipation where he was spending money on his girlfriend and the traveling and you know, Mexico and all these gifts and all this stuff that he bought the girlfriend. So, you know, and it all worked out and, you know, and honestly, it it is obviously a case by case basis, but, you know, doing the cost benefit analysis, giving them an idea of what they would get at trial really helps them. And then just getting them focused on, you know what, even if we settle right now, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be divorced tomorrow. Right. You know, by the time we get a, a date for the divorce, the prove up date, by the time we, you know, get everything on file, you know, you're not going to be divorced tomorrow. So, okay, what? We've been in it for a year. What's two more months to get you what you really could, you know, potentially get versus you just settling now because you want out? Yeah. What I love about that, and if your client listens to this, you know, I want her to know that she should really be proud of herself because at the end of the day, you go home, we go home, we all go home. So they're left to the judge goes home and her ex moves on with his life very easily. So she stuck with what she felt in her gut was right. I mean, she had a good champion ahead of herself by having you to help her with that. But at the end of the day, her, her daughters are going to see this take it from me, take it from Karen. We've seen it. I've seen it personally. I've seen it through a lot of our clients. Those kids will come back around because the true colors always shine. So that's really, I love to hear someone that is able to persevere. Believe me, we, we believe in settlement. We love mediation for the clients who are informed. They come through our process. We know they're informed. So we want anyone to avoid court, court, but to have your attorney and have your spouse bully you to a decision is something that is so upsetting to us in our firm and just move anyone that we know. So I love, I love actually hearing this story to be honest with you. I wish we could replicate you a thousand times. Yeah, seriously. me too. Very rare. Oh my goodness. We have a lot of great litigate, a lot of great mediators that we know, um, but good litigators. Oh, it's so hard. And that's another thing to mention, um, Karen, what you were talking about in regards to you know, attorneys pushing settlement. There are, I can tell you, at least in the domestic relations division, which is the family and matrimonial law, that a lot of attorneys actually don't know how to do a trial. They don't know how to litigate. Like actually like not just going to court, you know, and and going to a pretrial in the back and making arguments in chambers. I'm talking about like opening statements, rules of evidence, um, you know, moving in exhibits into evidence, uh, you know, testimony, cross-examination, closing arguments, like a lot of attorneys don't know how to do that. And that's sometimes, to be honest with you, um, I have a good percentage of my clients right now that know how great of a trial attorney I am that came to me 
just to do the trial saying my attorney can't even do it. I'm not happy with him anyway. I need somebody who knows trial work and who is going to be a shark in stilettos. And, and I am that girl at that time, mm-hmm. you know, if I have to be, but yeah. it's amazing. And so a lot of attorneys will avoid trial because they don't know how to do it. Right. You know I really- so agree. And, and I just want to point out a shark in stilettos doesn't mean to someone else's detriment. It means standing in the gap for your client. That's powerful. And we just don't see that a lot. Thank you. Thank so you. I want, no, to, I want to follow up on what you just said, because I think it's, um, let me remember what you just said. <laughs> I'm getting all excited about all these things. <laughs> I want to ask you a question. So but, am I. Um, preparing, not, not knowing how to go to trial. I mean, my own attorney didn't even go on record and ask for attorney fees. And what people don't understand is I, at one point during um, trial was saying to my ex, I was talking directly to him because I knew the truth. He, I knew he knew the truth. So I'm trying to talk to him. And the judge kept saying, you're not allowed to talk to him, <laughs> you know, or I turned right to the judge, you know, I'm, I'm a talker and I know finances. So I turned to the judge to explain something. He's like, you can't do that. It has to go through your attorney. And I was like to Karen later, like, what do they mean? I can't say it. I know this information and I want to look him in the eyes. And they're like, you're not allowed. That's not the process. So I had a learning experience that you have to make sure your attorney is really going to say everything that you want them to say or fight for you. Because if, if it doesn't come out of your attorney's mouth, it's not going to happen. And I didn't realize that. So I do think it's so important you have an attorney if you're going that litigation route or if it ends up having to go that route, that that attorney is like you. They're, they're equipped and they're, they know how to enter all the orders and do all of those things that are go on record and everything else that goes over my head, because again, I'm just a logical thinker. I'm not really a follow this process thinker. <laughs> um, so yeah, that is very important. It's so, it's so refreshing to hear um, you speak like this actually, because I really yes. want down and dirty. Like, what do you guys say about each other at the end of the day when you walk out of that courtroom? Cause I know what we say about <laughs> some of the people and it's terrible because we need you. It's a matter of, you know, getting the right fit. Um, yeah. And the problem is, is that a lot of attorneys are not really truly passionate about what they do. Right. So for them, it's like, oh, they work at a firm, they're a partner, they have to, you know, they have to bill so many hours, they have to collect so much money. Otherwise they're out of a job, but they don't love it. They're not truly, truly invested in it because it's just a job. The difference is with me, it's like, you know, the zealous representation they get is because I'm very passionate about what I do. And I know that sounds silly, but no, like, it it's hard to explain because a lot of attorneys, they don't have that fight in them anymore. It's kind of like, and it's sad to say it cause I love animals and I, I love my dog. She's actually sitting over here. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's like an older dog and they just kind of lay down and play dead because they're tired. And attorneys that aren't fully invested in their clients that's what happens when they go to court for you. Yes. That's not good. They don't ask for things. They don't ask for attorney's fees. They don't zealously represent you because they're just tired and they're not. Oh, they're over. Sorry. It's okay. Oh. You're there. Guys. Yep. Yep. You're there. Sorry. I lost you. That's okay. You're back. Okay. <laughs> so 
sorry about that. So anyway, so what I'm saying is, you know, that's what happens when they go to court, right? They, they're not fighting for you. They're not zealously representing you. And, and that's, you know, that's why you have to be very careful on when, what lawyer you decide to have represent you because you don't know it from the beginning. And unfortunately, I mean, little things that are so easy to ask for that are never done. It's just because, you know, they, they're not invested. They don't care. It's like, it means nothing to them. They're not invested. They're not getting anything. If you get another hundred thousand, they don't get anything. It's illegal, right? Ethically, it's, it's not allowed. So, you know, they're just like, well, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to make an observation here. Because it's my experience that when I go to a consult with a client, an initial consult, I'm just going to leave it at that one, where the attorney's promising them everything. I'm going to do this. I know that judge. I know him. I know her. I know the whole world. And the whole world essentially bows at my feet. (laughs) You know, I am it. Versus someone like you who says, you know what? I'm going to be straight up and we're going to start here and then we're going to go here and I'm never going to lie to you, but I'm always going to be there for you. So while that may not, that's a a bit of a different story in an initial consult, but I think as a client, you should be able to recognize the difference because that representation is going to play out because someone who talks that way in the beginning is not going to deliver at the end because it's all about their ego and all about who loves them. And they just need this new client to love them because they need a lot of money, billable hours to, to your point, to keep their job or run their firm or whatever. And that's a very different message than what I hear you saying today. And if we could have more attorneys that would take that approach and just be real, because these are real people and real families and it's not about, you know, taking somebody to the cleaners. It's not about that. It's about my fair share and will I be okay? And how do I set up my new life? It's, it's really about that. And that's something we just don't see a lot of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what we were talking about um, previously is in regards to attorneys that specifically ruin settlement for the benefit of themselves or their firm, you know, specifically, you know, just eliminating any chance of settlement and moving a client towards a trial when they know that it's not in their best interest. I tell clients all the time, say, look, I don't, I don't want you to pay a lot of money in attorney's fees. That's not at all what I'm looking for, you know, for you to have to do. In fact, my goal is, is that you pay as least as possible. And then, in turn, you tell your, your neighbor, your friend, your family, your boss, whoever, hey, you know what, Tiffany and her team did a, such an amazing job. And that's how my business grows. Absolutely. I don't do, yeah, I don't, I don't churn. It's what they call it in yeah. my division, you know, churn a file. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't do that. And that's not good. I mean, the, these attorneys that do that, and they, look at what, I mean, these parties just spent their kids, you know, college, you yeah. know, tuition over litigation for what, you know? So when you do that initial counsel with that attorney who's like, I know this guy and I know this guy and you know, I'm just, you know, I'm the end all be all and think about what the real intentions are and think about how that person's gonna frame your settlement. 
and how they're actually going to put, you know, the work that they're going to put into your case because they're not invested. And if they're not invested, they're not going to put the time in. It's going to be very cookie cutter. It's going to be very, very like bare minimum work at a very, very high price. So mm-hmm. attorneys like myself that are really invested in clients, we are so eager to like get the best result, like whatever that means, like however long that takes. And if that means that like, you know what, maybe it took me an hour and a half and maybe I went a little overboard, I'll no charge, I'll no charge some time for them. Although it's technically billable and the judge would grant me that time, I do it as a courtesy because I really go above and beyond in all of the work that I do. So, you know, it really is sad, like I keep saying about these other attorneys, Mm -hmm. but you know, it's, all of us working you know, together, we, we make a difference. Mm-hmm. And oh my gosh, I'm so happy to hear that because I said to Karen, if I hear one more attorney or judge even say that this is the process and you know, it, it's the process. Mm-hmm. And I keep saying, well, then change the process, change your attitude, which will change the process, but they don't. And that's why I want to say like, what's the down and dirty with the attorneys when they're off on loan and they leave their clients there? Like, you know, is it, I'm going to get to, you know, we've heard this before you have the weaker spouse, so you need to settle, you know, that those kind of things are really frustrating. And even these trial attorneys, sometimes when the trial comes, they're not the ones that show up. They send that their associate, you know, we've seen the, the, um, what is it called? The least yeah, the associate, yeah. They, yeah. they send them to the case for the case or the conference yep. officer or for the trial case. You know, and you're like, what? Like, why is that person showing up? I've paid yep. for the other one all this time. <laughs> you know, yep, exactly. So it yeah, has to change. Crazy. You know, yeah, and then that's a problem that a lot of clients have too. It's like, okay, well, I just spent all this time going through settlement with you, and we're trying to reach an agreement, and now all of a sudden, you're not even working on my case anymore. So they just get passed around to different people who then have to catch up on you know, what the other attorney did to understand what recently happened with this and, and the clients getting billed for it. And all the while, nobody really knows what the hell's going on because there hasn't been one attorney on it long enough (laughs) to really understand what the hell is going on. So it's, you know, that's again, why obviously having you guys is so, so crucial Mm -hmm. being able to put together the parts of the finances and the assets and the debts and long-term, you know, investment information. And then letting, you know, letting me being able to do my job where I can focus on that aspect and not have to do that. Mm -hmm. So, and not to mention it saves the client a lot of money. Yeah. And making, I love that you help your client understand. They're not just taking your word for it. You're making sure they understand what's happening, what, what their decisions mean to them. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why we want to align with you and mediators and the good attorneys that we come across is because if we can all streamline this process, if you let the people, let us do your financials and let the attorneys do their job, let the mediator do their job. It's less stress. It's less time. It's less money. That's changing the system. That I am Absolutely. so passionate to change, Karen. I'm getting all heated because I'm thinking of all these cases that I wish Tiffany would have been in on. No, <laughs> our clients have been on, right? Um, so this has been great information. It really is. I hope if you're listening and you're in the guck or the middle of this, 
you realize that there are other options for you. And if you're looking just to hire an attorney, that really it's an important conversation that it's every right that you have to have it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Knowledge is power. Absolutely. Divorce knowledge is everything. Yeah. Tiffany, for those lucky people who are going through a difficult situation, who may have access to you, where, what counties in Florida and what counties in Illinois, is it Illinois? Illinois. Yep. Um, Are they able to access your help? Um, Right now with COVID and everything occurring via Zoom, Um, I'm in all counties in Illinois and all counties in Florida. Um, When things change, then I I won't know yet um, as far as Florida exactly. Uh, Right now I'm in in, uh, Hendry County, um, but the Palm Beach area, Fort Lauderdale, uh, Miami. So more of like the South, uh, the Southeast of Florida and those counties. Karen can go to Illinois. I'm coming. To <laughs> I know, I know, right? I know you'll need me there. You don't want to see yes. me on Zoom. <laughs> um, and then in Illinois, when Zoom is, you know, when it's, you know, pre-COVID, um, McHenry County, um, Cook, DuPage, Will, uh, Lake. Um, I do some work in Grundy. Pretty much when it comes to any county, whether it's Illinois or Florida, I have clients that call me and say, you know what, I don't mind to pay the reduced hourly for the drive time. I really don't mind because I'd rather have you than have somebody else. And the people that are in those, yeah, the people that are in those counties, it's, it's, it's especially the smaller ones, you know, everybody kind of works together and the clients, you know, rightfully so feel like that opposing counsel is really on their side because they're friends with X. And, and unfortunately, a lot of times that's kind of true. Um, you yeah. know, I can't say that it's not, not every time, but you know, I understand the concern and they would rather have, you know, me from the city downtown, you know, working on, you know, I work on high asset net worth cases. So they need somebody who has the knowledge. They need somebody that has the, you know, the power, the, you know, ferociousness, you know, so here I am. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> well, thank you. Continue yeah. your great work. We'll continue our conversations, I'm sure. And um, this concludes our podcast and we will see you on the next one. All right. Thank you so much, guys. It's thank been you. an absolute pleasure as always. Thank you. Thank you.